The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode number 41. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. Today we're discussing the Star Trek Discovery episode, Red Angel, or The Red Angel. That might be another way of uh, putting it because it makes it more specific. Be definite, Dom. Use the definite article. I'm definite that it's the, (laughs) uh, officially. So joining me today on the panel are, as you heard, Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? As we begin, uh, we usually do. I just want to start with a reminder to you folks. You ha- if you haven't done so yet, and I know you, that you right there, you're listening, you know you have not yet liked The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook. Where Unless fa- you have. Unless you have. But but I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the other guy or girl, gal. Sorry. I don't know. I'm using all the wrong pronouns or, or nouns. Uh, anyway, you, the Star Trek fan, have not yet liked Facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, but if please do so and then go to Twitter where you should uh, retweet this today's show by uh, retweeting it at our SQPN. That's our Twitter handle. You can leave us comments, subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app or on YouTube where you should hit the bell to get notifications. And above all, share the podcast with all your tricky friends. Uh, we know that there's lots of people who aren't yet listening. I mean, we have a lot of listeners. But in the grand universe of Star Trek fans, most of them are not yet listening to the secrets of Star Trek, and they should be because we're having a blast talking about Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek, all the other series and soon Star Trek new series, including uh, I'm going to start a campaign to have a new CBS All Access to create a Star Trek series that features Captain Pike and the uh, Enterprise starring Anson Mount. That's my mm, new. That thing. would be cool. That would be cool. I think that I, I, because I, I have to say, just as we begin uh, discussing this episode, I just came to this conclusion watching this that I, especially the news that Anson Mount will not be in next season, which we kind of figured because yeah. this was a temporary assignment for uh, Captain Pike. That I really, really like Pike, and I'd love to see more about him. Well, yeah. now there is there is a rumor that supposedly he somehow maybe kind of punched a director on set, <laughs> but then it turns out maybe he was actually doing like rehearsing an action scene and the director happened to be there. So who knows? I, hmm. I know I've had that happen where I accidentally punched a boss and said it was rehearsing a scene and you walked yeah, into exactly. my <laughs> As you but did. Yes, I agree with As you. you I, I think that would be awesome to see. Uh Captain Pike and and maybe they could you know they could build up to the accident that led to his being in the chair and all that. Right. There are some rumors that at the end of the, by the end of this season, so that's four episodes from now, we're going to catch up to the original series and we'll maybe even see the accident. 
Oh, that would be interesting. That would be also sad, but interesting. Yeah. The, the drama of that would be something else. That's for sure. Um, that would be, although after that, who would want to be a captain on uh, the Discovery? I mean, Lorca <laughs> turns out to, yeah. he gets killed at the end of his uh, term. Uh, Pike ends up in the wheelchair. I mean, that would be bad. That would, uh, it would not be good for the next guy. Uh, Saru would, might be up for it. Yeah, maybe Saru would be the new captain. Especially the new, not very scared Saru that would be, would be. Yeah, bad. exactly. Uh, so let's talk about the Red Angel. And uh, so some may assume, given uh, the theory that Jimmy uh, posted, posited uh, previously and that I agreed to that. And I think, Father Corey, you also agreed that the Red Angel was going to be Michael Burnham. Um, right. And they come right out right at the beginning of this and, and pretty much say it, that Michael is the Red Angel. And then they red herring it. You know, there's a there's a, a twist at the end of this episode where it's not Michael. But Jimmy, what do you think? Do you think we well, were wrong? I, 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 unless they're making a huge writing mistake, we were not wrong because they set it up in previous episodes. The Red Angels, Michael. They tell us at the front of this episode that it is not only Michael. It is so Michael that computers could not fake the signature readings proving it's Michael. Right. And so to me, okay, if you're going to if you're going to say it's never Michael, you then you're committing a huge writing mistake because you've told the audience in in explicit terms it is Michael. The, yeah. Um it's you haven't left yourself wiggle room on that. So my solution is even though there is a twist at the end of this episode, okay, the Red Angel is a suit. More than one person can wear the suit yes. right. at different times. And one of the people who will wear the suit is Michael. You know, when when I first, when I watched the first part of the episode, I mean, even the first watch through, which I never take notes on, I always just watch the first time just to watch it. And immediately I grabbed my notepad. I put Jimmy called it dot, dot, dot. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, I went dot, dot, dot. Or not, you know, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, you know, first of all, we are talking about Star Trek Discovery. How many times have we complained about poor writing in Star Trek Discovery so far? There's even um, some poor writing in this episode, despite the fact it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good episode or fun episode, like you said. But yeah, it wasn't the best written. Um, there's just that whole. Now, we just talked Doctor Who and the, the episode blank, wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey. But there's that whole wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey problem of if it really was Michael Burnham in the future, she would know about the trap. She would know about some of this other stuff that she later got caught up in. And that may be part of their solution is since it's not Michael on this occasion, that's right. why the Red Angel didn't know about the trap. Right. 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 Yeah. I was seeing the whole time, like, why is why is. Uh, Michael in the room while they're discussing how they're going to lay this trap if they think it like that's actually still a problem because if they yeah, think it it's yeah. her why would she be in the room so that uh, and it and it's also a problem why are they even trying to trap the red angel because if it is future Michael as they believe right then future Michael knows more than you do instead of trying to trap future Michael why don't you trust future Michael <laughs> right that she knows what she's doing right because she knows more than you he has more more knowledge of what's going to happen. If 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 I knew my future self was coming back in time repeatedly to save me and all life from dangers, I would tend to defer to my future self yeah. and not try to trap my future self. I, mean, I think they they kind of say like the that every time she comes back, she's letting in the uh, the future eight control AI, AI yeah. and that's that's a problem. But 
Yeah, you're but right. I mean, still. it's still introduced. That they they haven't they haven't paid the dues. Yeah, this is an acceptable risk. Right. Even if you're saying there's a risk that that future control is going to come back with future Michael, trust future Michael on whether that's worth it. Don't try to disrupt her plans. In the process of trapping her, you may be doing the thing that's letting the future control through. I think mm-hmm. even even if they decide that the risk is too great and they have to stop her, uh, say let's say they do that in the story, they have to say that, which they mm-hmm. don't, uh, yeah. and that's I think that they kind of say okay, we've got to trap her, and they move kind of move forward, and you're like, why, why, why yeah. are we trapping? And they, yeah, they, they don't, they, yeah. So again, uh, bad writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the uh, another interesting just uh, behind the scenes note is the director of the episode is uh, Hanel Culpepper, uh, who is also we've learned is going to be the director of the first two episodes of the new Picard series. So just hmm. oh. an interesting note there. Cool. You were She's say, also Jimmy? directed other stuff. Oh, yeah. Yes. I was just going to say, I also called that, and which they also now expressly say in this, that um, the the future villain they're dealing with is a future version of Control. It's an AI that's gone rogue and is trying to set up its past. Right, right. That was something that I didn't get from the previous episode, that it's a future version of Control. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought it was the control AI, but the, it's it's interesting that they kind of just throw that in there like that. So yeah, so let's look at the, the episode from the beginning, which is uh, that we start with the, a memorial service for uh, Commander Arium. This is one of the things that Star Trek does is sometimes crew members get killed a lot in Star Trek. I mean, it's just it's a dangerous yep. job, yeah, and, we, and we don't normally see their funerals. Right, we rarely have seen funerals. We saw Spock's, we saw Tasha's. I don't even know that we saw Jadzia's. This is actually something I wanted to point out was. I think we see Jadzia's casket, maybe. Yeah, we see something with Jadzia that's, uh, that, that my recollection is. But one thing I want to point out was that kind of contrast Arium's burial with Spock's, because it's a very similar set of the, the way it goes through. Is they, she's put in a torpedo tube <clears throat> in a torpedo casing shot out, you know, uh, of the she's thing. She's buried in space. Which is the 24th century anal- or 23rd century analogy of being buried at sea, because exactly. it, on a sh- if you die on a ship and it's the and it's it's in the days of wind power before you could helicopter someone out, mm-hmm. you put them in a body bag and you dump them over the side. Which which, by the way, for the for the Catholic Church is still a viable option for a funeral. Yep. 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 That's still acceptable. It's still burial. Uh, what I want to one interesting thing is just to contrast. Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek 2, Scotty plays the bagpipes and plays Amazing Grace as yep. Spock is shot mm-hmm. out into the into the deep. And in this, it's Saru singing a song of uh, a mourning song or a, a song of lament from his culture on Kaminar, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting that they decided they, uh, you know, that, that they decided that the both of these have a, a sort of religious sentiment, although we'd. We don't know the content of the Kaminar song, so whatever. What are you saying? But there's still this ritual of burial that's that's part of it. And one of the things that's interesting is this is like a multi. This one is more multicultural than Spock's funeral because at Spock's funeral we had Kirk speak and we had Scotty play, and that was it as far as what we saw. But here it's like at a, actually like a lot of non-Catholic funerals um, where you have people, everybody gets a chance to get stand up and say something about the deceased. That's a common funeral practice in our day. And given the multiculturalism with different planets from Star Trek, it makes sense to let people do this um, unless Arium had specific. No, no, no. I must have 
this kind of funeral, then then it makes sense to either at a funeral, as in this case, or at a wake, let people get up and, and share about what they thought about Arium. Right. So we have Pike, who talks about um, her uh, resilience as, as an unshakable virtue, um, her loyal, fierce loyalty. We have Tilly, who we, we know from the previous episode was a very close friend with her. Um, she says that Tilly lived as if her life was a miracle because she had to, she had nearly died. And so that, that was, and she said, uh, we have Stamets who speaks as, um, she says, she had said without a hint of self-pity that the paths of trillions of particles had been changed simply because she and her husband smiled at each other and that she was happy that together they made the universe a little less orderly. Interesting. A uh, entropy sort of thing. <laughs> She's like with Thanos or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She killed half the particles. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then we have Detmer, who we know has received an, a, a type of cybernetic implant following her injuries at the Battle of the Binary Stars. At the Binary Stars, I guess. And uh, we, we won't go into that again. And how that made, you know, um, Arium's approach to her own cybernetic implants made her accepting of this as well and then we end with burnham of course uh because that's burnham is the star and she says she led us to the best in ourselves then we also get this imagery of arium's autopsy which mm -hmm. or preparation for burial which includes uh, the deleting her memories yeah what do you think of the ethics of that now we know why they're doing it they reveal why they do that because they're afraid well, of the virus but it wasn't deleting her memories it was deleting because the member she had uploaded her memories to the computer on discovery it was deleting her memory on the the implants so i i can buy that you would delete before for both for privacy reasons um and for virus reasons you would you would delete before you eject the body um but i would uh, my first thought was why are you doing this you should be studying those files uh, to learn what you can about the future AI, you need to be saving a backup copy somewhere to look and at. They, and they you do wanna... see later in the episode that they did that. Yeah, well, they didn't say it in this first scene, and it set me off a, off a mental rabbit trail. <laughs> right. We also see an interesting uh, de decision, uh, the directorial decision. We see when Tyler, uh, in the midst of the uh, voiceovers of the memorial service, we see that Pike and, the, and Security Chief Nan released Tyler from his confinement because they had thought he was the spy. Um, and we see this morphing from Tyler's face to Arium's face, the kind of fade in, fade out sort of thing, uh, which is really that idea of, uh, you know, symbolizing how she had framed him, that it was really uh, Arium who had done it. By the way, Dom, you had had a question at the end of last episode where Arium died being ejected out into space, why they didn't just beam her up. and and one. I mean, she does have cybernetic interface. She may be able to interact over Wi-Fi, so they might not have <laughs> wanted to beam her over. But it also, because she's virus infected and a threat, but it also occurred to me this is somewhat early days. I mean, this is original series time, and they didn't yet have point-to-point -point trans transporter technology that worked really well. You needed a transporter pad on one end of the process, so we mm -hmm. never saw point-to-point -point transport transporting in the original series that was a next gen thing and here but they could even just, though 
beamed what, it. Hang, I know, yeah. I know. They could beam her onto the transporter pad on Discovery, but she's a moving target. And so they may not yet have the ability to lock on to a moving target the way they will later on, because I don't think we saw moving targets being beamed in the original series. You had to be standing in one spot mm-hmm. or pretty much in one spot, even mm-hmm. if you were active, moving your arms and legs around in that spot. Because the chroma key didn't work as well back then. This exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's actually no. That's a good point. That maybe the, that's a, a a function of the lim the limits of t- transporter technology. Which is I'm glad glad to see that they would if they were trying to because of the technology looks so much more advanced that they're trying to kind of limit themselves in other ways. Would be maybe would be they that may be totally off the mark, and they may have even undermined it already on Discovery by transporting running people or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, there was like early season of Enterprise. They beamed up. Captain Archer while he was moving. Right. Right. Mm. Which was probably was like, more much more dangerous, but you know, riskier. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Who right, knows? So, yeah. So Saru uh, says that only Arium and the Section 31 station were infected by this virus. But Pike says, well, she could have transmitted it, you know, it could have transmitted mm-hmm. itself off the station. So we have to be extra careful. Um, this is where also where Tilly confirms that the Michael is the Red Angel. Based on these yep. um, bioneural signatures, right? And Hugh confirms that you, th- these cannot be faked uh, because there yep. are uh, variables and entro- ent- you know chaotic or entropic. Yeah. Bits so so close that not even a computer could fake these and have it look real. Right. Mm-hmm. We we yeah. do get uh, inc- incidentally. I thought it was interesting because they'd been setting up a let's deduce who the red angel is over the last couple of episodes. Yeah. And they don't deduce it. They just have Tilly come in and say it. Right. I think exactly. they probably guessed that most of the fans have by now figured it out. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, fans have gotten fairly sophisticated to the point where filmmakers now actually this is interesting. They're where they put up movie trailers. They're putting mm-hmm. they're putting fake scenes in them to, to right. lead the fans astray so that we don't figure out the plot before the movie releases. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which I thought interesting. That's funny. So we get this. In, in, incidentally, in this scene, there's this mm-hmm. line: "The one variable we cannot predict is the future." And I'm going. Did you hear what you just said? <laughs> do you know what predict? Do you know what predict means? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It, predicting the future is what predicting is. Nobody predicts the past, <laughs> right? <laughs> or the present. We only yeah. you have to. Prediction is, by definition, the future. <laughs> right. Well, uh, another thing. Another thing in this scene that was I thought was kind of interesting is they they basically just they didn't show the destruction of this of the section thirty one station, but they just had Saru say we destroyed the station, and you know, and they just dropped yeah. it in there and just went on. Yeah. And yeah. I thought that was kind of a that they didn't show anything of it all because you know the show? question is going to be well, what about the section thirty one station? Oh yeah, we just yeah. blew it up. Okay, yeah. next. Yeah. Show not tell, guys. You can right. take yep. a few seconds. You can just start with an explosion and say, "Oh, and that's what we were doing." It turns out the computer at the uh, at the sci-fi house, SFX uh, house, crashed while it was rendering that. And they, mm. no, I'm just kidding. I oh, they, they must they been, <laughs> must have been using my they must have been using my MacBook Pro to do the rendering. Oh, <laughs> right. Previous previous podcast recording, my MacBook Pro did just that. So <laughs> exactly. So uh, they they. Talk about how uh, T- uh, Tilly says she found strange code in Arium's system. 
which was uh, a file implanted by a digital parasite. And the file is called Project Daedalus, which were the last words that Arium said to Burnham uh, before mm-hmm. dying. And so, this, so they've now found it. Yep. And so uh, what? So then we get this cool. I thought this was really cool. This exterior flyby of discovery from the as they're doing the repairs on the ship. Mm-hmm. And it was I thought it was a real I, I'm a I'm a ship geek. I love, you know, the starship stuff. Oh, yeah. and, the, and I just and it, so I thought it was really cool that that exterior flyby right into the ship. And uh, that and that's where we have um, uh, we have was it Dr. Culber and Pike and Spock and Burnham there. And <laughs> Spock uh, basically throws Burnham under the bus. He says the emotional profile of Red Angel fits Burnham, especially yeah. her tendency yeah. to take responsibility for events beyond her control. Uh, thanks for that, thank Spock. You, thank <laughs> you for sharing that with the group, Spock. Yeah, he, he was definitely <laughs> delighting poking at her every chance he could. Yeah, in that first part there. Yeah, and, and I like her. If if I was the Red Angel, why wouldn't I just say, you know, this stuff? And perhaps you simply have a penchant for the dramatic, <laughs> <laughs> or as we like to say, uh, for plot reasons is why. Yeah. <laughs> so Cornwell, and then. I mean, this the beginning of this episode. They drop a lot of statements. There's a lot of show don't tell. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we ha- we get and now we get Cornwell or a says a lot of lot of tell don't show. That's what I mean. Uh, tell don't show. So we have Cornwell says Discovery and Spock have been cleared, and now that's all, that all that's in the past now. Like we're moving on. Like all that yep. you know, running around the yep. galaxy chasing Spock, and he's accused of murder. Okay, that's all done, and we're we're moving on. I mean, they've really cleared the decks. They they could have. And, and this is just dialogue fixes, but they could. So it's minor scale stuff, but they yeah. could have set that up a little better and say, I filed the it'll take a while to go through, but I filed the paperwork to clear you. So you're effectively free. Yep. Right. As opposed to it's all done. <laughs> right. So uh, we find out that uh, you know, uh, Leland and Georgia come aboard and uh, we find out that Section 31 is behind the Daedalus project, which was a time oh, travel yeah. project. And that they developed the Red Angel suit. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing this with us. Yeah. <laughs> Think we might have had a need to know once we started tracking the Red Angel. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, this is actually a good um, uh, discussion of the, the problems of too much secrecy. You know, when we mm-hmm. we overclassify things. And in fact, that we have that those debates in our own government where you know the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, and most most governments in the, uh, actually these days where everything is classified everything is compartmentalized and it sometimes overdoes it to the point where it hampers important things mm-hmm. uh, yeah so so basically 20 years ago section 31 learned the klingons were researching time travel and that led yep. as as it would to a temporal arms race if they mm-hmm. have this if they're working on this tech we need to as well yes uh that led to the daedalus project the suit was apparently or they thought destroyed by klingon spies um, right. And, and, but section 31 knew about this all along and didn't start sharing even after Vo- discovery started investigating the red bursts and the red angel. Now, I'm, I'm, one of the things I'm kind of surprised by is that if section 31 finds out that, that Burnham is the red angel and that they're afraid of what she's go- doing in the future, that they don't just try to kill her. Bang, you're dead. Mm-hmm. Solved. Problem solved maybe although maybe that doesn't solve the problem <laughs> right maybe, right. maybe the, you've just killed the thing you need to fix the problem although section 31 strikes me as the sort of organization that that acts first and thinks about that sort of thing later <laughs> so far i don't know that's that's more governmental level 
incompetence. I think of Section 31 as more more criminally sophisticated than that. Uh, mm. I suppose. Okay. Uh, they are an intelligence it. agency. and Right. So then we have, okay, we have this very weird scene in engineering with Giorgio, Stamets, and Culber. I, I don't think there's a whole and, lot to say Tilly. here. Yeah, and Tilly happens to be there. I agree with Tilly, who at the end of the scene goes, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I for, don't people wanna, yeah. Who, for people who haven't seen this, uh, Giorgio starts coming on to Stamets. Right. And, and Culber. As, as, Hugh, as, as Hugh walks into the yeah. room. Yeah. And, so, and Culber is objecting. It's like, you know, he's gay, right? And she's, don't be so binary. In right. my universe, he was a pansexual and we had, I forget what she said. But Defcon like, level fun. That's what I was thinking. Defcon yeah. level fun. Yeah. And so she's, but she starts, and then she starts flirting not only with Stamets, but with Culber. And since this is a, this is contrary to their own sexual preferences in this universe, they're very uncomfortable. Yeah. And there's kind of a question of how much of this is Burnham making up, Georgia, how much is Giorgio making up versus how much is she just yanking their chain, but she's clearly enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, in fact, she even she even uh, talks to Tilly at one point. I forget if it's in this scene or a later one, but uh, I think it's in this one where where Tilly is objecting to making these guys uncomfortable. And and Giorgio is like, you know, you can't you even enjoy a little bit of a, a little bit of discomfort. I mean, who right. raised you? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, she recalls it this fabulous male tension. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it was. It was just a weird scene. It was a weird scene. Yes, but I, I agree with Tilly. What was that? <laughs> now, yes. I just saw an interview with uh, Kurtzman, Alex Kurtzman, showrunner. Yeah, yeah. and they, he's made it clear that their relationship will be mended. Yeah, Q oh, and God. and. Well, I saw that coming too, but yeah. yeah so you know. this this might be a scene to try to start developing that again. Well, we have a later. There's scene a later one. Yeah, yeah. later scene that. It moves it even further. Yeah. Oh, I, I do like at the beginning of this scene, Giorgio is talking to Stamets and she's saying, I think you're smarter than the Stamets in my universe. You're also much more neurotic. Have you considered medication? Yeah, that was <laughs> yeah. a great line. I have to say, I love I love Michelle Yeoh and I love Giorgio. Like just it's such a, a great character in, in this in, in this season. Michelle Yeoh is obviously having a good time with oh, this yeah. character. Uh, so it's, I, I think she's a great element of chaos throughout this series. Oh, yeah. But by the way, a couple of things that are actually right before this scene, uh, Saru volunteers to help Leland do the calculations they need to try to trap the, the suit. And um, and it's clear he volunteers like really quickly because he wants to scope out Leland or keep an eye on him or something. Um, also, they mentioned that the suit is powered by a time crystal. And you may think that that's they just call it a time crystal because it's cool to put time in front of something. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. But actually, time crystals are real things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I they in fact, they were they were in the news not too long ago. Um, I don't know if the show, if the writers know this, but time crystals are, in fact, real things. Um, what a time crystal is, is so you know how a crystal what makes it a crystal is it has this matrix, an unfolding pattern, like you imagine quartz crystals, let's say, and they have this kind of hexagonal pattern that the crystal is based around because of the way the molecules line up across space. There's a pattern. Well, a time crystal is like that, but it evolves over time. 
And so it has a pattern that changes with time, but it's still a regular pattern. So it's classified as a crystal. We also saw a time crystal in Discovery previously in the episode uh, Magic to Make the Stainless Man Go Mad when uh, Harry Mudd uh, takes over the Mm -hmm. Enterprise and pulls it out of the time stream with that device. But they must be somewhat common if uh, you can find them on the black market. (laughs) Right, right. So yeah, Got there it. is a there is a Wikipedia <laughs> article, by the way, on time crystals. If, if mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's actual. I mean, there there really are theories about how time crystals can work, although they're not stable because, of course, they that's the whole point of them being you know go, growing through time, you know, right. instead of through space. Also, in this scene in engineering, they decide they need to go to the planet Sof Four. Um, and to trap the angel and they say, oh, yeah, it's got so much deuterium there. Uh, we can use it to power our plasma reactor to catch the red angel. And I'm going, wait a minute. OK, you can use deuterium as a, a, in nuclear reactions as a moderator in um, in uh, in in nuclear reactions and as part of a nuclear power plant. You have an antimatter reactor. Why are you wanting to set up a stupid plasma reactor? An well, antimatter total conversion reactor is going to make way more power. You don't need deuterium for that. Because they they uh, were spo- it was supposed to be 14 warp drives worth of power is what yeah, they said. That's, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. There's no way you're getting that much energy out of a deuterium reaction. What are the inter- well one one thing that they they mentioned is that this planet SF4 is where some of the project Daedalus testing was done. Okay, so, fine. So the, apparently the 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 infrastructure was yeah. probably there for it. Uh, I yeah, and that's fine. I'm they can you can go to SF4 for that reason. I'm just saying the this deuterium stuff is bad science writing. It is. It is. Uh, we we've mentioned before they need to get a uh, science consultant uh, back on yeah. on the staff. Deuter- deuterium, by the way, is uh, helium that has an extra proton. So Saru, you mentioned Saru uh, volunteered to help Leland. So we get a scene with Saru confronting Leland. Leland so- says, look, you know, I don't know why you're here. Obviously, you know, y- your presence is not necessary for what I'm doing. And Saru says, yeah, I'm here to just make sure that you're trustworthy. And uh, because Leland wasn't, you know, he says, even without my threat ganglia, I still have an instinctive reaction that tells me that you're not trustworthy and, uh, you know, that he would protect his mission ahead of uh, the the welfare of Discovery and its crew, which is which is true. So um, and then. Burnham shows up, Saru leaves and she confronts Leland, who tells her like she so she puts it out there. She says they're trying to capture her. So she has a right to know what they intend to do and how. But as I said before but if they tell her how won't her future self know but then Leland drops the bomb Uh, we get the truth of Burnham's background her parents worked on Project Daedalus they weren't killed because she wanted to go see a star go supernova that was what she had always believed as a child they were killed by the Klingons who, who and they were killed by Klingons but the Klingons were there to steal the Red Angel suit so it's interesting that earlier in this season he had been threatened by Giorgio that Giorgio that she would tell Burnham what really happened to Michael's parents. So he's preempting that and coming clean with Burnham here. And Giorgio actually pushed Michael into asking him. So 
Um, and what I find problematic about this, so Michael storms into the room where Leland is and says, I'm giving you one chance to explain everything as you need to explain it. And I'm going, he's a superior officer. You are yeah. massively insubordinate at this moment. There's a lot and, of rings that are violated in this, this scene, this scene yeah. and another one later on. And, well, and like when she punches him, okay, striking a superior officer who is a member of an intelligence agency that does black ops. This is really not intelligent. Um, <laughs> she did start a war. <laughs> yeah, well, she did. Um, she also has, is really slow on the uptake because when, when she, when Leland is like, okay, your parents were spies. She's like, no, that's impossible. And, 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 and she keeps resisting. It's like, uh, you know, they were this and that. And it's like, okay, come on. Those were their cover stories. Well, they were, he's a physicist. Well, spies isn't that <laughs> physicists get recruited to be spies. I mean, right. This, well, they, they were they were working on a physics problem of time travel. Yeah, that sort of makes sense. <laughs> right. Uh, so she punches him twice, once for her mom and once for her dad and leaves him uh, bleeding on the floor. He just he doesn't. Leland, uh, Kevin Leland does not have a good day in this episode at all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, he has worse. a last day of this episode, right? Yeah. Uh, she confronts Tyler for belonging to Section 31. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting. How can you belong to such an organization? And he says, look, I'm trying to make it better by being part of this. Like, uh, by being in the organization, I can turn it for the better. And I thought it was interesting how it reflects some of what we have for debates in our society today. I don't want to get political, of course. But, um, you know, we a lot of people think, oh, you know, who you support politically or what organizations you belong to. That's that's a, you know, this this moral uh, you become untouchable because you happen to be part of this or that. And uh, whereas someone could say, look, I'm part of this organization or I'm I'm involved with this, these people because I'm trying to make it better. But it's an interesting debate. They don't get too much into it, but there's this she she calls him on it and he kind of pushes back. And I, I like that, that about this scene. It's just, just setting up man, woman tension to be released later in the episode. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Much. The romantic the re reconciliation. Yes. Th there is that. One thing they mention is that in this, is that, or Leland mentions is this theory that various cultural leaps on earth and elsewhere may have been produced by time travel. So that's something they may follow up on in the future. Also, he says the time crystal was taken to Doctari Alpha uh, where her parents, you know, were killed. And then he connects it somehow to the fact the supernova was going to release a lot of energy. And that's when the Klingons attacked. So I'm wondering, is the supernova like, is it, it what's the connect? Why is, why is it significant that there was going to be a nearby supernova releasing a lot of energy with this time crystal here? And I'm thinking maybe that plays into the red bursts somehow. Right. Well, I think of like time travel and other Star Trek stories, especially like Voyage Home, uh, where they have to like they they use the slingshotting technique and they use the yeah, but you uh, but, but, don't want to more than just a slingshot. Mm -hmm. It's the it's the solar flare while they're slingshotting. So there's something they're having to do with the immense Im immense energy released from a star. Combined with some of the stuff, I think I, they don't get into the details. Much, yeah. I guess, but. Well, the reason I'm wondering about that is because they understand the red angel suit and how it works, but they don't seem to understand the red bursts. 
And the red bursts are massive releases of energy across time. So I'm thinking maybe somehow the supernova and the time crystal are what is responsible for that partly. Although the red burst might be just the 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 wormhole that she travels through opening up. Except they've pointed out that she sometimes shows up when the red angel shows up when there are no red bursts and vice versa. Mm. That's right. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that you know, it has a lot to do with the amount of energy that's necessary to create the wormholes to you know move the the red angel from time to time. Stuff like that. Right. Right. Yeah. By the way, notice so, notice everybody in Section 31 seems to know about Michael's parents and what happened to them. <laughs> right. Apparently, a lot of people had a need to know about Michael's parents. Yeah. Well, certainly Giorgio knew. And uh, Tyler we, knew. Uh, he tries to deny how he knew. But but she's immediately, you are so lying to me, dude. And he later seems to confirm it. That's true. Like, how would he know? Unless Giorgio told him at some point. Or Leland. So, um, Hugh Culber, Dr. Culber, goes to Admiral Cornwell and brings up that she used to be a therapist, which I, I think I mentioned in the, in the previous episode. And so she's looking for... Um, he, I'm sorry. He's looking for help dealing with. I'm not dead anymore. <laughs> right, yeah. and his and the problems he has in his feelings and and he, there's an interesting moment when Cornwell tells him, "Love is a choice, and you have to make that choice again and again and again." Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, that "Wow, is, that is right. <laughs> That's correct." Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. like the first time I think I've seen it in a TV show in a long time where they actually love isn't just some feeling that comes that comes and then goes away and. I fell out of love and now I have to move on. But mm-hmm. but that love is a is a choice that you make and that you stick to and that you work at and that you don't just well you not when you don't feel it for the moment it doesn't mean it's gone. Right, love I mean, is wow. Love is love is not. Um, I mean, there are different kinds of love, but love is not simply a feeling. It is it is a choice. It is willing the other person's good, and you can be loving someone even if you don't have positive feelings at the moment. <laughs> you imagine a, a parent who sees their child in danger, let's say in a burning building or a raging river, and the parent runs in to save the child. Parent is not having warm, fuzzy feelings. The parent is terrified at this moment, but is loving the child by saving them. Well, even on an everyday basis, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'm shaking my head exasperated at a child. I'm like, why are you doing this? And I'm I'm upset, even angry sometimes. Still love the child. I mean, that's a choice I I, I make. I mean, it's part of who I am. I I will. I think will is is maybe even a better term than than to choose. But I will that I love, uh, you know, my children or my wife. And I I I do like that she says that right here. I think it's it might be one of my favorite parts of the episode is when she was is is how she describes it like that. It's, I'm like yes. I cheered. You mean it's it's not like the old 1970s movie love story? Love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh, yes. No, love no, means having to say you're sorry quite frequently. <laughs> over and over and over. Even when you don't think you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so in any event, in this scene with uh with Cornwell, she like kind of pushes him in in the back towards uh, Stamets saying, you know, love is his choice. You got to make over and over again. So he takes that on board. So now he's going to go back to Stamets and to keep the to keep the plot thread going because it's too soon to resolve it. 
when he does go back, Stamets pushes him away, saying this is not the time. It might not ever be the time. But it's like, you know, that's just a delaying tactic to stretch out the drama. Right. We, need, we have a few more episodes this season before we can resolve their situation. So uh, we have Burnham in the gym. She's taking out her aggression on a boxing dummy instead of Leland's nose. And Spock comes in and uh, has a talk with her. I do um, wish I was there when you struck him. I believe I would have found the moment satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there's a, there's, this is more of a personal moment, a relationship moment for them. He does say um, he discovered the reason behind the variance in the angel's patterns of appearances, why it chose to appear at certain times and not in others, and that Burnham was the variance. Yeah. Um, and. And that she appeared whenever Burnham so was in when danger. Michael's life, yeah, when Michael's life is in danger, her guardian red angel, guardian angel, appears to protect its present by protecting herself in the past. Except it's not true. No. Because like, the red angel showed up on Kaminar when Michael was safe on board the ship and it was Saru in danger. Mm -hmm. And showed up and showed up in the church and the church on Earth. Yeah. So, Similarly, last uh, season, Michael was in danger all kinds of times and the Red Angel never showed up. Right. So then I'm like, so I'm wondering, how are they going to get out of that writing problem? Or I'd, are they going to say that those times were not Bert Michael, but was her mom? I don't know how they're going to. I don't know that they're going to get out of it. I think they may just yeah. want us to buy this and move on. Yeah, I, it, that that was a definite. Uh, problem for me. I just thought it was sloppy. I mean, I assume that if we go back and look at the appearances of the Red Angel earlier in this season, we can find that there is some kind of not perfect, but some kind of mm -hmm. association with Michael being in danger. Um, and and you could then headcanon, okay, well, the Red Angel can only appear in season two because science reasons. You know, um, but what's significant about this scene is not so much that is it's Spock and Michael reconcile. Uh, Spock accepts her apology. Finally, after all this time is the first of two reconciliations that Michael has in this episode. Uh, if not three, you may even want to count Georgia there, but she's also going to reconcile with Ash Tyler now. Um, and one of the things that struck me and it's it's, it's been something I've been thinking about for a while, but especially this season, there is lots of emotional texturing. And uh, this series is really character focused in a way that other series have not, Star Trek series have not been. Uh, Deep, Deep Space Nine comes the closest to this amount of focus on the character psychology. Um, and so it's not, despite the fact we have interesting things happening of a science fiction nature, it's it's more a character driven story than it is a what's called a high concept story where the where the characters are more in the background and the sci-fi is more in the foreground well it's one thing that's it's been obvious i i think uh they've really been trying to make michael burnham more emotionally uh strong emotionally diverse Complex. shall we say yeah you but. know cuz the first season it seemed like she was she could have been you know commander data frankly you know, mm -hmm. there was there was right. not a lot of emotion there at all. She was angry a lot of the time if there was angry. an emotion. That's true. So so the plan is they're going to go to SF4 and let her suffocate in the atmosphere, which is made up of CO2 with perchlorate dust. 
and perchlorates are real things. It's it it's, has chlorine, so it's corrosive. And they need the perchlorate dust in the atmosphere because they want Michael to die in two minutes because that's how much screen time they want to fill. Yep. And if it was just a <laughs> CO2 atmosphere, that wouldn't do it because you can hold your breath for two minutes. So they need the perchlorate stuff in the air to make her die quicker. It wasn't CO2. It was carbon monoxide. It wasn't, it wasn't dioxide. I thought it was, it was dioxide, monoxide. but maybe I'm wrong. It was wrong. carbon monoxide. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. I have it, just have it wrong in my notes. But still, I you mean, can hold your breath for two deal. minutes. not a big deal. Yeah, you can still. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of misspeaks on my part, um, deuterium has an, is hydrogen with an extra neutron. I misspoke and said proton. It was a, it was a very positive thing for you to make a correction. Of your uh. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of corrections, Giorgio says, so we're going to the ninth circle of hell. And I'm yes. going... Uh, the ninth circle of hell is a frozen wasteland. This isn't a frozen wasteland. <laughs> no. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> is referring to Dante, Dante. Dante's Inferno. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I have to say, I, I, this was an, another really good scene where I, I enjoy this this relationship between Burnham and Giorgio. It's so interesting. It's almost mother and daughter. If you forget who Giorgio actually is. Well, and, and one thing <laughs> one thing I think they've been trying to do is kind of soften the Empress to soften her so that you see more of the, the personal. I mean, we got that flash of it where they had uh, Tyler's baby on the ship. And she, when no one's looking, she's got you know the mother look and then kind of the smile and then back to stern as soon as someone looks. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they're doing more of that where they're trying to soften the character. And I almost wonder if. They're trying to get her to Captain Giorgio, where she almost becomes to that level. She's there. There's. I think they're setting her up for you know her own series. Well, yeah. I think yeah. I think uh, they they want to have a a a, a Captain Giorgio like character who's still a bit shady, devilish. Yeah. I, I, if I could compare it to Doctor Who, because we that's what we do is we compare things to Doctor Who. This is like what they did with Missy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Where. She went from being a evil, chaotic being to being Pop-a-balloon. slightly mischievous. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's it's very it's interesting to see this change in her. And I also think this scene is here because of the end of this episode, because now we have this mother daughter like uh, uh, relationship, and then who's going to show up? But mom, uh, Michael's mom. So it's going to create that interesting tension going forward. So we're going to kill Michael. Yeah, and and then revive her if the angel doesn't show up. And it's really important we do this now, uh, Leland says, because we won't have another opportunity. Well, unless you revive her and do it again, you won't. Yeah, that's true, yeah. I guess, in that sense. But if you kill Burnham, then the red angel won't be coming, right? Because you've killed her and therefore there's no more red angel. Well, you're going to put her in severe danger and then if she does if the red angel doesn't show up and she does die you then re- you revive her culber will be standing by to do that but what if she really like they're, they are genuinely afraid that she's really gonna die here so if she really does die i didn't get that i got that they're that certainly michael is expecting if i do clinically die i'm gonna be brought back uh well spock says um if burnham were to perish he would be charged with killing a starfleet officer again he therefore would prefer that she lived, to which he replied, you have a way with words. Yeah, I, I took I took that as a joke. There's no way. I mean, he's carrying out this plan under cover of law. There's no way he's being charged with with killing her. 
no, I get that, but but there there was the point right before the angels showed up when she did die. I mean, you heard the flat line and all that when you know Giorgio says he's not, it's not coming. You know, yeah, we got to stop. She's this. only she's only mostly dead. By by the <laughs> way, so before, what have you got to live for? <laughs> before this, Michael goes to see Tyler, and she's as she's contemplating her death, she's rattled, and as, as anyone would be, that's realistic. And he kisses her. He really, really plants one on her, which is reasonable given the situation. Um, and we have this "I'm scared, me too" thing, and that makes sense. All of that was, uh, you know, it was nice. Um, we have a Lieutenant Nilsson of Section 31 show up to monitor some of this. Was she Section 31 or Discovery Crew? I thought she was 31, but maybe I'm mistaken about that. Then, as Michael's going towards the death chair, which is, I think, I don't know, I, I guess we're meant to understand this is like, because they didn't have to strap her into this chair. It, it's I think it's meant to be reminiscent of an electric chair. I mean, they could have just put her in the room and 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 evacuated the air. Um, but as she's going there, Tyler calls her on her cell phone and says, Michael, and she <laughs> says, I know, Ash. And in Star Trek, his, in science fiction history, starting to say something and then hearing, I know. <laughs> is, yeah. it's, so it, he just admitted he loves her. That's that's Empire Strikes Back. So Nielsen, by the way, um, is she was we've seen her previously. She was uh, an engineering officer. OK, and so she was. She was filling Arium's spot at the Spore Drive Ops uh, okay. console. Okay. And that's why there was all this drama about her appearing well, on the bridge. There's another connection it. there. The actress is Sarah Midich, who played Lieutenant Commander Arium in season one. Oh. oh. Interesting. actress from the two seasons. Right. <laughs> so she gets to stick around. Yep. Uh, that's a, a nice change there, for her. There's, there's a... a <laughs> podcast i was listening to about this episode where they think that there may actually be something deeper they're going to play off of that in the season that is not just cool. a coincidence mm. that this same actress came back to take the same position of her previous role there, there might be something more there so we're gonna have to watch for that that might be kind of interesting this is kind of alita alexander talia winters thing yep <laughs> yes Babylon 5 reference folks. Exactly. So Burnham is dying. The Spock pulls oh, a phaser. She is so dying. She is like screaming. Her skin is disintegrating. It's it's very dramatic. This is not fun. And Giorgio reveals her true colors by moving to save Michael. And and uh and um until Spock, Spock pulls a phaser. Well, yeah, but then he says he says something weird. He he demands compliance and 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 Michael starts to say something about variance, which Spock interprets as as meaning don't stop what's happening. But I don't right. get Michael what's meant, is the variance. I don't get what is meant by variance in this case. I, well, Michael is the variance, which means that when it's when Michael is in danger, she's reminding him. When I'm in danger, when I'm about to die, when my life is in danger, okay. that's when she appears. Well, I think that's what she, she could have say. said no or stop or something that was clearer than variance. Um, and then Cornwell turns to Pike and says about whether to stop this, says your call. And I'm going, <laughs> really? You're the, you're an admiral. You're punting to the junior officer to make the life or death decision. Really? Then she wouldn't be the one standing in front of the uh, board of inquiry, shall we say? Father Corey, as the as the veteran among us of the uh, military service, uh, how how real did that seem to you? That punting of the responsibility to the junior officer. <laughs> um, 
You know, there's part of me that would say that was a very good political move, <laughs> but not yeah. a very good command move. Yeah. So, uh, so probably, you probably pretty a, accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, again, when you're, you're, when you're talking about you know, a general level, of course, you know, I was Air Force. We have generals, not admirals. I can see him doing that, especially mm. ones that are you know politically motivated to be things like chief of staff and stuff like that. But at the same time, however, that's not the chain of command. That would mm-hmm. have been Certainly. the admiral's position. Well, and given that she's Cornwall has herself put herself out on a limb just in the last episode. Where, where she went to work, you know, to, to, to get discovery when they were still uh, fugitives. It, that didn't make sense. So, yeah, it is kind of funny, though, that she's like, oh, but your call, it's your. Well, I think it's you. It's your crew member. So you have to make the decision about whether you're going to continue to put her life at risk. Yeah, that's, like, I think he was letting her do that. That's what we're meant to understand. But it still rings false to me. I mean, I can't imagine uh, Captain Kirk turning to Mr. Spock and saying, oh, you know, you're second officer. You make the decision. Do we let this person die or not? Well, what I was just thinking, though, is the one way it does make sense is. The idea of, you know, his ship, his chair, his command, and that she doesn't want to stomp on his command unnecessarily. Yeah, I'm I, that's a little because that's a little different than the relationship between, you know, a, I, a captain know. and a first officer. But I. I understand it is different, but it still rings hollow to me. This is more no, like an Admiral Kane, Admiral uh, Captain Adama, Commander Adama thing. It's like she's just going to move yeah. in and take control. So Pike makes the decision to pull her out to end it. He tells uh, Owo, as he calls her, to beam Burnham to sick bay, and but she can't because there's interference. And that's when Tilly says there's a massive spike in tachyon radiation. There's a red burst. The angel is coming in. By the by the way, at this point, Spock has defied a direct order from Pike, right? By Which, whipping out this know. gun and threatening fellow officers with lethal yet, force. Yet another reg- regulation violated. Yes, well, I mean Spock has been there. He's, he's, this is old old uh, old hat for him by now. So they <laughs> they want to uh, they need to get more power to to activate the 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 thing that's going to uh, disrupt the Red Angel's ability to get back to its own time. And Leland has to go to the special room to deactivate the uh, security buffer by this retina scan. And then something kills him. Or spikes it, him in the eye anyway. It gives him a poke in the eye. Uh, well, yeah, I guess we, I, I kind of assumed that getting a spike in the eye would kill you, but maybe it didn't. We, we can probably assume. I mean, we'll have to wait till next episode to find out. But it we could infer that maybe it went all the way back into his brain and killed him. Uh, because the computer, we we... We can guess uh, that it's the AI is control from, you know, the the, the future AI uh, is taking control because it starts emulating his voice and starts issuing orders in his voice, even though he's clearly, you know, laid out on the floor, uh, at, at least, and gives the power to capture the Red Angel, which is if this is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the point is maybe capturing the Red Angel is the bad thing they to do. Maybe they shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. It, it plays into the AI's. And that's and that's kind of how I took that as the AI realized if they capture the Red Angel, then the Red Angel is no longer there to stop it from doing its conquer the universe thing. Yeah. Which I pointed out at the beginning of our podcast. Trust future Michael. Don't. I mean, maybe you're doing the thing that's going to cause the problem. 
Um, but so there's this red burst and the angel appears and shoots Michael to revive her with the red beam. And then they spring the mousetrap. And I'm like, why is why is why is why is future control showing its hand? Because they were going to catch it anyway. Why interfere with the process? Why not just let them do what they were going to do and you can stay hidden? Well, no, it, it was interfering because they were going to fail. They weren't going to be able to finish the process. Hmm. They needed more power. And so, but I see what you're saying is why interfere? Why not just let, uh, let him get um, the, do the, do the, uh, catch security the he was going to do. And yeah, right, 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 right. Right, I see what you're saying now. Yeah, that yeah. If why did it why did it kill Leland or disable him in any case and impersonate him? When you when you, they show Leland laying on the on the ground, his eye almost like it regenerates. Oh, huh. so he so, may have been ariumed. So yeah, and that's what I'm thinking is what that did is oh. it actually injected like a nano nanoprobes or whatever mm-hmm. techie thing you want to add in there, and okay. so then Leland will be taken over by. Oh, interesting. Proto- Better than a poke in the eye. Protoborg. <laughs> yep. Yeah, proto- so, so, be assimilated. so then they EMP the Red Angel to turn off the suit, which they do. Right. And future mom or mom falls out. Yep. Right. Actually, probably past, past mom, mom, given that yeah. she's dead. Yeah. Well, she may, she may not be dead. I don't know that we ever got a body there. Oh, that's true. But at this point, I, I, uh, in my notes, I wrote, ha, not Michael. yeah i think it's temporary temporary misdirection it's either temporary misdirection and it's gonna be michael or it's bad writing see that's and i I, i'm kind of agreeing with jimmy on this one here where i think it's what's gonna happen is at some point michael's gonna end up in the suit you know it's it's so this is a red suit that travels through time i it seems like i've seen a science fiction series where there was a blue suit that traveled through time and that had different people in it at different moments like sheridan and sinclair and galen <laughs> and uh, kind of hopped in and out of time as well another babylon 5 reference uh, acknowledged yeah <laughs> the one who is the one who was and the one who is coming I kept thinking, honey, bring my super suit. Yeah, that's what I just said. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, where's my super suit? Uh, Do you have any more uh, notes on this episode? Any more thing we didn't cover yet? Not me. Okay, then uh, we're going to wrap it up here. And before we do, we're going to say we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek. And today we're going to thank by name Julie M., Tony S., Barbara G., and Kimberly W., through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows we do at SQPN. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this episode of Red Angel? The Red Angel, if I use the definite article there, uh, or, and our discussion of it, what we had to say. Our, do you think we're still uh, on target on our uh, Michael Burnham is the Red Angel uh, prediction or not, or any of the other things we came up with, let us know by visiting sqpn.com slash Star Trek or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. You can leave us feedback there or send us an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Discovery Perpetual Infinity, which. So that's going to be a long day. episode. Yes, but isn't that sort of redundant? We'll see. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) if it's infinity, it's perpetual. 
Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bethanelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, love is a choice, and one doesn't make that choice just once. One makes it again and again. <laughs>